Today, we are continuing our series, uh, which is called Renew Your Strength. And here's what we've been talking about over the last several weeks. All of us need strength. We all need strength, and all of us, probably most of us, would say we could use more strength. Whether that's just literally to endure what we are in in the, in the moment. Some of us, many of us, are in a place where it's like, this is just hard. I need more strength just to get through the day-to-day survival. But beyond that, we all need strength to move beyond just survival because none of us wants that. And that's nobody's goal for life is to just survive. We want to do more than that. We want to thrive. We want to have an abundant life. And to do that, we need strength. But where do we get that strength from? And so this whole series... um, the kind of the idea behind it uh, has come from a verse in the book of Nehemiah where Nehemiah says that the joy of the Lord is our strength the joy of the Lord is our strength and so we've been talking about what does that look like what does it look like for us to lean into the joy of the Lord what are some of the things that are barriers that get in the way of experiencing joy specifically the joy of the Lord that are sapping our strength And I'm thinking about that, and and Nehemiah, the guy who said that, um, just to give you a little bit of context, when he said that, we talked about this in the first week of the series, but if you weren't here, Nehemiah said that in a very specific context to a specific group of people. He was talking to God's people, uh, we call the, the, the children of Israel, who had been just returned to the city of Jerusalem which was the land God had promised to them many, many, many like generations before. They finally returned there after being in exile for 70 years. 70 years that they had been away from their home, away from what God had promised to them. 70 years that they had been waiting that then when they returned to Jerusalem, that Nehemiah says to them, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So here's my question for you this morning. If you say, yes, I need more strength, and yeah, I want to have more joy, how excited would you be if I said you're going to experience joy in 70 years from now? Yes! I only have to wait 70 years? That sounds great! Okay, now, I realize that this may vary from person to person. Okay, so sometimes when I'm preaching, I'll say things like all of us or we all experience. And so I understand some people have different personalities. So I'll just say this for myself. I am not that patient. Okay. I'm in fact, I'm not a really patient person. And so I know there's variations. Some of you were like super patient and you can wait out anything and you're like 70 years. Why not? You know, and so that's cool. Okay, that's not me. Okay, now there's some things I am, some things don't bother. I can be patient about some things. Like if you're telling me like this, it's going to take this brisket, it's going to take two days to smoke, I'll wait. Okay, I can, I can wait on stuff like that. Traffic doesn't bother me that much. I don't yell and scream and don't tell anybody, okay? But um, big stuff, big life decisions, big initiatives at work, um, you know, before I worked at the church and I was working in schools, there were things that when I saw something that needed to be done and when I, said, when I saw that there was a good idea or a way that this needs to be done, I was like, it's time, let's go. Because this is just, and, and I just started to internalize, this is just who I am, this is my personality. I am not a patient person. When it's time to, to get something done, let's just do it. 
right? And some people are going to drag their feet and they want to just keep discussing and keep discussing and there's a time for discussion, but sometimes discussion just needs to be over and let's just move forward, let's get it done. Are you with me on this? Anybody? Okay, and I remember this very distinctly um, several years ago and I can like picture in my head, I was driving in my car and just thinking about this because I was in the middle of, um, and some of you know my story, we were gonna plant a church over in Troy and I was trying to get that started but there were some things I was waiting on some other people to do some things so that we could get moving on it and it felt like I was just waiting forever and it just felt so slow. And I remember this one day I was driving and I was like, you know, I just, I just want this to move forward. I just wanna get this done. I just... And maybe, maybe that's wrong, but you know, I'm just an impatient person, and that's just who I am. That's just my personality. That's just the way God has wired me. And in th- I'm thinking that as I'm driving, and I literally remember this verse, this scripture pops into my head, and it's from Galatians. Can we, or, uh, can we pop that up on the screen here? Or, sorry, sorry, it's from Ephesians. And it's this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and I'm driving, and literally this verse pops in my head, and I'm like, that is not fair, because I'm telling myself it's okay to be impatient, that's just who I am, and you just got to push forward and drive forward, and God in that moment speaks to me, and he says, look, here's what the fruit of the Spirit means, when you're a believer in Jesus, when his Spirit is working in you, then the fruit that that works in your life includes patience, I don't like that, okay? If I could write this myself, it would say the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, getting stuff done, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, but it doesn't. So here's just all of that to say this. I want to say, well, why? Why, God? Why, when you, God, when you reveal to me this is what should be, When I see in your scripture that it should be like this, when I see around me, just in the world around me, I think I have a really good idea of the way. Why, why would I have to wait? But here's, the more I think about that and the more I kind of internalize that, what I've come to believe over the course of time, why is the wrong question. The question I need to ask is not why, it's who. As in this, who is the one who's making me wait? I'll explain what I mean by that. Some of you are in a place right now where you have to wait. And maybe not in a, you know, funny, ha-ha, kind of like, oh, traffic was whatever. Not that kind of a... Some of you right now are in a place where you're waiting and you feel like you've been waiting for a really, really long time, for something that's really, really important. There's someone you love, and your relationship has become strained, and you are waiting and waiting for reconciliation with that person. Some of you are waiting on a medical situation, either to know, is this treatment going to work, or you're just waiting for news, what is the doctor going to say, and you're waiting, and that waiting feels like it is taking forever. Some of you are waiting for your career to advance, and you feel like you have been doing this job forever, 
And the promise has been that if you stick to it, this is what's going to happen, and you keep going, and you keep going, and nothing seems to be changing. Some of you have a dream of a certain kind of a family. Maybe it's kids, and, and you just haven't been able to have kids. Or maybe it's, it's a marriage, and you've never found that person to get married to, and you feel like you're just waiting and waiting and waiting. And the more you wait, the harder and harder it gets. And we're talking over the last several weeks about joy. And you're like, I would love to experience that kind of joy, but right now I just feel like I am stuck waiting. Some of you couldn't even pinpoint a specific thing that you're waiting on, but you just feel restless. There's just something in you that's saying something needs to change, and I don't even know what it is, but I'm just feeling stuck. And in that kind of waiting, where you just, you know something needs to change, you think you know what needs to change, but it's just not happening. How, in that kind of a situation, in that kind of a place in your life, how is it possible to experience joy? How is it possible to stay strong when you have to wait and wait and wait? But as crazy as it sounds, as counterintuitive as this sounds, what we're going to see today in our passage is that that's exactly what our passage today says that waiting does, that it actually leads to greater strength and therefore a deeper joy. I want you to turn with me. We're going to be in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40. If you don't have a Bible, um, there should be a hardback one under the seat in front of you, and you can flip it. It's on page 600 in that hardback Bible, like right in the middle, page 600. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 40. Um, And let me give you, oh, shouldn't have done that. Um, Uh, Let me give you a little bit of context on who Isaiah is and what's going on here. Isaiah was a prophet, and he's speaking to the children of Israel. Now, it's complicated, and I won't give you all the details, but here's the big picture. Isaiah is speaking to the children of Israel about that very exile that Nehemiah was speaking to them after. So Nehemiah talked to the children of Israel after they'd been in exile for 70 years. Isaiah is talking to them about the exile that is going to come, that is going to happen. And in that... He has this prophetic, in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 27 to 31, this prophetic word for the people of Israel about the waiting that they're going to be enduring. And it's, it's written as kind of an imagined conversation between the children of Israel and Isaiah and what they're going to say about their waiting and God's response to them. And so let's read it. Isaiah chapter 40, starting in verse 27. Isaiah says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk 
and not faint. The word of the Lord. Seventy years. Seventy years of being in exile. Let's think about this logically, okay? When we say 70 years, think back then. Life expectancy back then wasn't even as long as it is now, okay? So for us, 70 years sounds like a long time. For, for people back in that time period, 70 years is like two lifetimes, which means this. The vast majority of the children of Israel, 70 years was going to be longer than they were going to live. The vast, vast, vast majority of the, the children of Israel who went into exile, who had been in Jerusalem and went into exile, would not survive until the return to Jerusalem. For most of these people, individually, the idea of waiting and being in exile for 70 years was the idea of waiting beyond your human lifespan. So when we talk waiting, we're talking the nation as a whole enduring beyond 70 years because for most of these people, this is like your whole life of waiting. This is an inherited waiting. So with that, we could say kind of staring them in the face. In verse 27, the way they respond to this is probably the way most of us would respond to that kind of a prophecy or a promise. You're going to be waiting for 70 years. You're going to be waiting. Maybe your children will experience joy, but you're going to, for your entire life, be in a waiting phase. You're going to wait for a very, very long time. And here's their response in verse 27. Why do you say, this is Isaiah says, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? Jacob uh, is a reference to Israel, both names for, for the children of God. Here's what they say. My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. They're saying, what is this? God has forgotten me. He's disregarded me. He doesn't see me. My right being the promises God has made. Because again, we're referring to them as the children of God. God has given promises, very specific promises to these people. I'm your God, and here's what this is going to look like. And you're going to have this land, and you're going to have influence, and you're going to bless the whole world. I'm going to bless the world through you. Huge, big promises of blessing. And now he's saying, but you're going to go into exile. A nation is going to come and conquer you. And they're like, what about your promises? You've totally forgotten me. You're disregarding. My way is hidden. It's like God doesn't see me. It's like the things God has promised he's not going to do. Look, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus and you read the Bible, you see all over the Bible all these promises of the good things that come to those who follow Jesus. When you follow Jesus, when you trust in Jesus, when he's your savior, you're a part of his family, then all these promises of glory, of goodness, of blessings, the joy of the Lord that you get from following him. And then in life, you don't always feel those blessings. And especially if you're in a place where you're waiting and you're restless and you're like, this isn't the way things are supposed to be, it can become really, really easy to start to believe that God has forgotten us. These doubts that the, the children of Israel are expressing here are the exact same doubts that we can feel in our own hearts. When we say, God, is this, is this really what you've called me to? 
Do you really hear me? Do you really see me? I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm praying and nothing seems to be happening. Where is God? When we have to wait, it can feel like God has forgotten us. Because what I want to happen is not happening. And so then it starts to feel like what God has promised is going to happen isn't happening. And so then I'm asking, well, has God abandoned me? Does God even see me? Are his promises even true? Are they for me? But look at what Isaiah says to the people. In verse 28, he says to them, God has not forgotten you but I think maybe you've forgotten God. Look at verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? He's saying, look, you need to remember something. Something that you know. So Isaiah said, I'm not telling you anything new. I'm not going to tell you anything you haven't heard before, but it seems like you may have forgotten this. And what he's going to do is he's going to remind them of exactly who God is. Because when we feel like God's forgotten us, we need to remember some very important truths about God. We call these, theologians call these what, what Isaiah is about to reveal to them, omni-statements about God. The omnis, omni is a, a, a prefix that means all. And so these are some truths about God, that God is all in all, that God is above us and bigger than us. And they're not necessarily, these are big, big truths. Okay, what Isaiah is about to remind the children of Israel and remind us through it, are big, big truths about who God is. They're not always easy for us to understand, okay? Because these are big, like beyond. These are things that are true about God that are not true about us. And so our point of reference, like it's even hard to talk about them sometimes because our point of reference doesn't fit with these truths necessarily. Okay, but here's what he says. Look, have you not known, have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth. The first thing he says is this. God is, here's omni, omnipresent. Omnipresent, which means this. God is present everywhere and every when. God is present in every place and in every point in time throughout history. In fact, God, because God is not limited to a material body like ours. So for us, when we say, is God even here? We're picturing a person being physically present. But what Isaiah is saying is God, the Lord, the everlasting God, he's the creator of the ends of the earth. He's everywhere. We, just, we can't physically see him, but he is present in all places. And, and this is the even more like kind of mind-blowing and really hard for us to understand, he's present at every time. We think of time in like the linear, the way we experience time, right? In this linear fashion, we were born and then this happens and this happens. And this. God sees it all. He stands outside of time. And he sees it all at this is going to sound confusing because I have to use human words to try to describe God who's above all of this, but he stands outside of time. And so for him, he sees it all at the same time. He's everlasting, which means not only that he has no end, but also that he has no beginning, which is totally impossible for me to even conceive of what that means. Everything I can think of has to start somewhere. For God to be everlasting means he always has and always will exist. He is everywhere and everywhere. He's omnipresent. So, what feels to us 
like endless waiting, what feels like an an interminable amount of time, God can see the end and he sees the beginning. He sees it all, all at once. He knows, God knows how long you have been waiting. He knows how long you will wait and he knows that it's actually the right amount of time. Because he knows it's the amount of time that he is going to use to accomplish his purpose. Whatever that purpose is that he has in your life, he knows the exact amount of time that is needed to accomplish it. He's omnipresent. He also says he's everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. He's omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful, which means this, he can do, God can do whatever he wants to do, and he will do whatever he plans to do. Nothing can stop God. Nothing can prevent him from accomplishing his purposes. He is omnipotent. If he has decided to do something, he will do it. He does not faint or grow weary. He's not going to run out of energy. He never gets thwarted. God never has to say what we say. I've said this many, many times in my life. Well, I tried my best. It just didn't work out. God has never said that. What God wants to do, he can do and he will do. And the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He's also omniscient, which means he knows everything. Everything. How many times have you been upset, frustrated, impatient, and then when things finally worked out, you realized, oh, I'm glad it didn't happen sooner because if it had then, right, you realize the context. It's the, I don't want to, you know, put too fine of a point, but that idea when you're like really stressed about that stoplight, you know, oh, why do I have to wait? Why do I have to wait? And then, you know, just like a minute after you see that car go zooming past really fast and you're like, oh, if I'd been there, that would have been a disaster. Now, that's a silly, or maybe not silly, but that's a small example of the idea that God knows all of that. Because he's omnipresent and he can see beginning to end, he sees all of time, he also knows exactly how things are going to happen and knows when they should happen. And because he's omnipotent, he can make sure that things do happen the way they're supposed to happen. God is omniscient, he's omnipotent, and he's omnipresent. All of this together means this, that God is in control of everything. He's got total control. He's everywhere. He's every when. He's the author and the definition of what is true and what is right. So whatever he decides to do will happen the way he wants that to happen when he wants it to happen. Whatever God says is best is best. 
It's going to happen how he wants it to happen, when he wants it to happen. He is in control. Now, if all that's true, if God knows everything, if he sees everything, if he stands outside of time and he's in control, then that means he's not going to forget us. He's not going to break his promises to us. So, so we can take that, and we can hear this and say, okay, so what you're saying is this, my waiting, as hard as it is, is because God has some bigger purpose, and that I just need to accept that, believe that, and trust in that, and just push forward and endure the pain? Suck it up, buttercup. God's in control. He knows more than you know, and he's stronger than you are, and he's been around a lot longer than you are, so just get with the program. Is that what Isaiah is saying here? But Isaiah doesn't stop there. Look at verse 29. He, God, gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. God's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's ever-present, but he's also all-loving. Add a fourth omni. God is omni-merciful. That's not a real word, I just made that word up. But, but here's why this is important. God has all the power, all the authority. He knows everything, he can do anything he wants to do. He's totally in control. What does he do with his authority? How does he use all of that control? Knowing everything that he knows, what is God's character towards us? It's mercy. He can do anything. He's the everlasting God. His understanding is unsearchable. He has total and complete control. When we use the word Lord to describe God, that's what we're talking about, that he's in control of everything. He can do whatever he wants. And the proper response from us to that is that we have to submit to his power and his authority. And God knowing, because he knows everything, knowing that he's in complete control, chooses, chooses to reach down to those who are most in need. He gives power to the faint. To him who has no might, he increases strength. Just to get a little theological, one of the other words when people, theologians, talk about God, and they say he's omnipotent and omniscient and omnipresent, all the attributes of who God is, one of the most important attributes of God is unity, which means this, all of his attributes are always true at the same time. He's always omniscient, he's always omnipotent, he's always omnipresent, and he is always perfectly loving. And you can't separate those things out because it's who God is. This is weird to us. This is hard for us to understand because when we think in human terms about people having power and having authority, 
and having knowledge beyond what others have, our experience is that when people have that much authority and that much power and that much knowledge, they use it for their own benefit. And okay, that's what I would do, right? If I was all powerful, I would use that power for myself. If I was all wise and knew more than anyone else in the world, I would use that to increase my own fame, my own comfort, my own security, my own whatever. But that's not what God does. God has all that power and all that authority, but he also has mercy. Now, in this specific context, again, specifically Isaiah talking to the children of Israel, as exiles from their home, they're politically and economically weak and powerless. They've been taken away from their home. They're in a nation that is hostile towards them. They have no voice. They have no power. Their economic situation is is horrible. And Isaiah says to them that God will give them power. He gives power to the faint. To him who has no might, he increases strength. But that's the context he's speaking in. But let's not miss the point. That God who is going to bring the Israelites out of exile, that's the exact same God that we still serve today. It's not like that was the God back then who loved people who were weak and powerless, but God today, he's different. It's the same God. He still has all the power and all the might and all the wisdom in the universe. And he still uses it, he still uses it to show mercy to those in need of mercy. And that includes us. Every single one of us. Every single one of us are faint. Every single one of us are lacking in might. That's why Jesus had to come. Because none of us, no person in this room, no person in this world, has the might or the power to shape the universe to our will. Don't you wish you did? Isn't that the cry of every human heart? If only I could make this world be the world I want it to be. Of course, even if one of us did, it would not be a good thing because we also don't have the wisdom or the love and the goodness to shape it in the way that is best. We're weak. We're powerless. You know when you feel that most strongly? When you have to wait. When you're waiting and you just want to do something. You just want to change your situation. And you're crying to God, God, just let me fix this. Let me change this. I can't do it. Our waiting makes us more aware of our need for God's mercy. We are broken people. Broken people who desperately need to be fixed. But we cannot fix ourselves. We just don't have the might. We just don't have the power to do it. But Jesus came with all of his might, with all of his power, with all of his wisdom, and he took on our weakness. He took our weakness on himself so that he could make a way 
for us to be brought back from our exile from God into a relationship with Him. And I believe we never feel that need more viscerally than we do when we are forced to wait. When we have to wait and we want so badly to change things, we can feel it in our guts. It's not just an intellectual thing. God is merciful. We need it so badly. Look at verse 30. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. Even the strongest human will reach the ends of their abilities. I am, this is an age thing, and I recognize when I use an example like this, for some people it's like, what in the world? But when I was growing up, the epitome of human success in the world, like the pinnacle of what it means to be a successful human, financially, physically, in fame, every single way, was Michael Jordan, okay? So if you're around my age, you will recognize what I mean by this when I say there was a time when Michael Jordan was by far the most famous person in the world, the most successful person in the world. He was everything that every young boy wanted to be someday, and he was on top of the world. Uh, In February, Michael Jordan turned 60, To me, to some of you, you're like, oh, whatever. To me, that was shocking when I recognized that. Michael Jordan. Now, for some of you, again, that name doesn't mean much, but when I hear that name, it just conjures up images of what it means to be at the peak of human ability. If you follow, which you probably don't, but if you follow Michael Jordan's life, and this is no knock on him or anything like that. I mean, I'm not judging him or anything like that. But the fame, the success, the peak of everything he was is not where he is now. Now he's still, he's still rich, he's still famous, he's still got all that kind of stuff. But his physical prowess is not what it was. He couldn't go back out. Michael Jordan, I didn't even, I should probably give some context. Some people are like, who's Michael Jordan? He was a basketball player, okay? He was the far and away, still considered by many, the greatest NBA basketball player of all time, and he was just incredible. Take over a game, dominate, and just win, and I, I didn't even root for him. I rooted for other teams, but I knew when he was on the card, it's like, he's gonna win. I just, there's nothing you can do. He can't do that anymore. He can't. His body will no longer allow it. This is what Isaiah is saying. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. No matter how much power or strength, or you can take it in other directions, how much authority, how much fame, how much financial success, how much whatever you have, wisdom and knowledge you have, there will be a time when it will not be enough. Talk about wisdom, talk about knowledge. Can you imagine with all the advances in technology and AI and all of that kind of stuff, the smartest person 40 years ago would be totally lost today. Our human bodies, minds, everything is limited. We feel this. The longer we live, and the more we're in a position where we find ourselves at the end of ourselves, we recognize more and more and more we need something outside of ourselves. 
thank God he has provided someone outside of ourselves, Jesus, to come in our weakness, to meet us in our need. And we turn to him with nothing but our frailty and say, God, I and his promise, his promise to us is that he will save us. He will rescue us. He will pull us out. That he will give power to the faint. To those who have no might, that's me, he will increase our strength. Here's how he says it in verse 31. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So here's a question. What do we do with this? If all this is true, and you're in a season of waiting, what do you do with this? And so just two takeaways from this. Number one, we need to wait for the Lord. We need to wait. Just very simply, we need to wait. There are so many times when everything inside of me is screaming out, just do something. Just make it happen. And God here is calling us to wait. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Not those who take initiative, take it into their own hands, push forward, make it happen. Those who wait. Now I gotta admit, this is tricky. Okay, this is kind of a almost like a dangerous thing to preach. Because partly, it is possible that some of you might hear this and God's been calling you to do something that feels scary, that feels outside of your comfort zone, to move and follow him in obedience in a way that, that feels unknown to you. And you could, I'm, this is my like, danger in preaching this, you could hear this as an excuse. Oh, I don't need to obey what God's calling me to do. You know, this is a hard situation. I need to reach out and, and start that reconciliation. I need to lead with humility. Oh, wait, God says I just need to wait. God's calling me to, to move in, in my career to, to be more bold in sharing the gospel, or He's calling me to change and to do something that reaches out to those who are more in need, and it's going to cost me. I'm going to have to sacrifice. Oh, wait, God's saying I can just wait. I don't need to, to worry about it. That's not what we're saying. Just to be really, really clear, okay? Obey God, okay? For people who say, well, I, I believe God's speaking to me. I believe God's telling me to do this. God is never, never gonna call us to do something that contradicts what he's already said in scripture. Never. If you say, I prayed, and I believe God is leading me to do X, and X is something that God says in the Bible, don't do that. God's not telling you to do that. Okay? If God is truly omniscient, he's truly omnipotent, he knows everything, he can do anything, then it's never going to be smarter or better for you to go against what he's already revealed. When you have major life choices and you're feeling restless and you're feeling the angst and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're trying to decide should I move forward should I not make those choices in light of what God has said in scripture and what God speaks through other believers 
Now, that kind of waiting requires us to do something else that's here in this passage, and that's to trust. To trust in the Lord. All of us have times and will have times when we have to wait. That's just a fact of life. Waiting alone doesn't produce the joy of the Lord. Just waiting doesn't make you stronger. Waiting by itself, it's not, he doesn't say those who wait shall renew their strength. He says those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. And that's a huge, it sounds like a small difference, but it's a huge difference in what this means. How we wait makes a huge difference. Look at verse 31 again. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. When you use the word shall, you're making a statement about the future and saying that it is going to happen. These are promises. These are specific promises that Isaiah is giving to the children of Israel But the way he's saying it, those who wait on the Lord, these promises are true for us. This is a promise from God. When we wait on the Lord, what we're saying is, God, I am trusting you. I don't see it. I mean... You've said this is going to happen. It's not happening. I'm not experiencing it now. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe that you will do what you say you will do. Now, here's the thing. It might not look anything like what I'm expecting it to look like. Many, many, if you read the whole book of Isaiah and God makes promises to the children of Israel, the way those promises were fulfilled wouldn't have looked, didn't look anything like what they would have expected. Most of them, many of them are fulfilled in Jesus hundreds of years later. Not the way they were expecting. In your life, in your waiting, in your expectation, when you have a promise that you're going to mount up with wings like an eagle and run and not be weary and walk and not be faint, you have a picture in your mind of what that should look like. And it might not look anything like that. The ways that God is going to fulfill his promises in your life might look totally different than what you think right now they should look like. So here's a question. Whose vision of the future do you think is better? Yours or God's? So this is a suggestion, okay? This is just advice. You can take it or leave it. You don't have to do this, but but it's just a suggestion. Next time, that you're feeling this temptation, that temptation rising up in you to to jump, to push forward, to move. You're just restless. I gotta do something. I just gotta change something. I'm just, it's waiting and I can't stand it anymore. What if, what if? What if you wait and you trust? What if you prayed this sentence out loud? God, I trust that you know better, better than I do, and that you love me. God, I believe that you're omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. You know better. You're going to do what's best. You're in control. And 
You're omni-merciful. You love me. God, everything in me is saying push forward. Do something. Just change something. God's forgotten you. God's not even here. God's not even a part of the picture anymore. You got to take this on your own. If it's going to be, it's up to me and all that kind of motivational stuff and just make it happen. God, I trust that you know better and that you love me. You know what? Let's try this. If you want to, if you don't want to, that's fine. I mean, I can't make you, but why don't we all say this together out loud right now? As a prayer to God, say this with me. God, I trust that you know better and that you love me. And the next time, and I say the next time, for most of us, for many of you, it's right now. You are waiting, and it is hard. It is hard. It is difficult, and you just want it to change. You just want it to be fixed. Here's what we need to hear. God loves us. God knows what is best for us. God wants us to experience joy. God has promised that he will renew our strength. Sometimes we have to wait. But we have a promise. We have a promise that if we wait on the Lord, he will renew our strength. Let's take a moment and pray together and then we're going to share communion together. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a hard message because I know there are many, many people in this room right now who are waiting, who feel like they have been waiting forever. Who feel so strongly like you've forgotten them. God, I pray that you would speak in their hearts, in my heart, in all of our hearts, and remind us that you see us, that you have not forgotten us, that you sent Jesus because you love us, that your plan is for our good. I pray that you would give us the strength and the endurance that we need to wait, and that in the waiting, we would be made even stronger. Thank you, God, for your love. Thank you for your promises. In your name we pray, amen.